1: Available at PrimalBlueprint.com Past episodes are available for download
0: or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com And now, here's your host, Brad Kearns. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast in the Malibu Studios once again with Mark Sisson. It's been a while. We've had some great shows in between, loading up that pipeline with some interesting guests. And now we're back to... The square one where we started with Mark in the studio.
1: I wouldn't call it square one. We're way ahead of square one now, but uh, I understand we have a lot of questions that we need to uh, answer today. So, Yeah, we... so last time we had the, uh,
0: the open mic night uh, situation, which we got some positive comments on, where we just shot the breeze and you talked about your exercise routine and some of the changes. And so the questions have been backing up, so let's get right into it, eh? Yeah. Um, one of them comes with the alcohol Mm. And the fact that this person is studying in the um, expert certification program and noticed that um, we've kind of backpedaled from that stance that it's a sensible indulgence and you can enjoy your glass of wine and get those resveratrol benefits. But in the cert, he, he says, um, you mentioned that it's the first to burn source of calories so it can get in the way of weight loss efforts, that it's lipogenic, meaning that other calories you consume with the alcohol are more likely to be converted into fat, and finally that the antioxidant benefits could be a little bit overstated and one more um, possible negative effect on gut health. So in asking this question of you, I know you're
1: still in the midst of your experiment, right? Well, actually I think my experiment is uh, has been conducted and is over and I've come to the realization that I'm going to cut back on alcohol, um, partly because I just feel better. Partly because in revisiting some of the original data and the original research on alcohol, it's really interesting. You know, I, I started to craft a strategy called the Primal Blueprint based on my desire to include as many people as possible. So I wanted to include people who like dairy if it was uh, appropriate for them to eat it. I wanted to include chocolate. I wanted to include, you know, healthy healthy fatty meats instead of just lean meats as the early paleo uh, suggestion would be. And I wanted to include red wine because there was good research uh, at the time that those who drank one to two glasses of red wine a night outlived teetotalers in some of these studies that they've done. But over time, I've realized that the reality is that the ethanol in alcohol is still poisonous to human tissue and the occasional hormetic response we might get to a single dose of ethanol in a glass of red wine is probably not an inappropriate uh, stimulant to uh, you know to have some short-term changes. But the chronic use of alcohol probably is not serving us very well. And as we go into the details of what happens with uh, uh, chronic alcohol consumption, even if it's to the point that you don't get inebriated, but just that one to two glasses of alcohol in the form of red wine per night, uh, we do find that there's an, a negative effect on the cells lining the gut. There is some gut permeability issues with alcohol. Uh, there are probably some, some things going on. What I noticed for myself was that even with just a glass or two of wine, I would wake up 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning uh, after having fallen asleep very easily, uh, but then restless and having a difficult time getting back to sleep as a result of having awakened, as a result of this, that's um, just
0: a couple glasses. Yeah, say? just a couple. So glasses. normal routine yeah, evening, yeah,
1: and, exactly. And that yeah. that sort of um, went away with my experiment. So I thought, well, that's interesting. That you know, again, I assume that my waking up in the middle of the night was a normal part of of life and, and something not to be uh, worried about. And yet, with having given up the alcohol, and I haven't given up completely, so I might uh, still have. Like I had one glass last night, which is the first glass I'd had in probably six. Days, so I might have a glass or two a week now instead of a glass or two a night, and uh, you know there may be some interference with uh, the the um, the bacteria lining the gut. Um, It is pro-inflammatory to a certain extent. Uh, Again, in short, uh, small doses that might be a positive hormesis, but in chronic, long-term exposure, it's probably not uh, not good. So you're calling
0: chronic the basic uh, socially acceptable. Couple glasses a night, or
1: one to two, you said. Yeah, I think so. I think that's yeah. probably probably accurate. So yeah, just to, just to sort of wrap this up. So I've decided for myself that, uh, and of course, you know, one of the things that happens as, as as a result of this experiment for me was once I got off the habit of drinking a little bit of wine uh, every night. Uh, then when I when I did decide to have a glass, I noticed the effects more. Uh, What's going on there at night when you're waking up? Uh, you know. I, the interesting thing is, I think that in Chinese medicine they say that that at between two and three a.m. in the morning, when you're sleeping, is when the liver is going through its mm-hmm. its uh, its own self cleansing process. And I I don't know whether I believe that or understand that, but it was very interesting that it coincides with my own particular uh, awakening at night and then having a difficult time getting back to sleep.
0: All right, so you're committed, man. You're you're staying on pace here. We're going to do rapid fire and hit a bunch of questions.
1: Well, that wasn't so rapid fire, fire, but let's let's see if we can pick it up it's, even it's more below from here. our
0: seven minute average. Um, <laughs> one thing I want to pull out of there is you you quickly mentioned the primal stance of advocating healthy fatty meats rather than what we always hear, even with primal paleo
1: people, is going for the lean meats. Yeah, I mean, we in, initially when the paleo diet came out, it was lean cuts of meat was the recommendation, and I think this has sort of long since been remedied. I think the the, most of the the strict paleo community has recognized that some of the fatty meats, provided they they're coming from from well fed, well cared for animal sources, are still appropriate for for consumption. Uh, So as long as uh, you know, grass fed would be ideal. But if you had even a, a grain fed or grain finished beast who had not been given hormones and antibiotics. Uh, that's still an appropriate choice of, of protein and fat, even though the fatty acid profile isn't quite as ideal as uh, as the uh, grass-fed mm-hmm. version.
0: So in the primal blueprint you mentioned, if you can't get that wonderfully raised animal and you're eating CAFO, uh, trim the
1: fat off because that's where the toxins concentrate? Well, even so, that's, that's on a standard-grown piece of meat if you wanted to... Uh, You know, work your way down the scale from ideal being grass-fed to less than than ideal being, you know, a CAFO-concentrated animal feedlot operation-fed Oh, you uh, just gave away one of the questions in the cert, Mark. What does CAFO stand for? (laughs) That's module number 11. Good luck, guys. Yeah. But, um, you know, even if you are uh, relegated to that because of your budget or because of of access— that doesn't mean that's the end of the world. As I say, you can trim off some of the fat and uh, put a nice slab of butter on top of that and kind of retrofit it to become uh, a healthy source of fats in addition to protein.
0: Nice, nice. Um, so here we are in mid-October, and speaking of the CERT, we launched in late August or beginning of September. So we're just starting out
1: mid-October. How's things going? You've had a tremendous response. Oh, it's unbelievable. It's The, the response has been overwhelmingly positive. People who maybe assumed that they knew a lot about the primal blueprint and uh, were t- just taking the cert to kind of prove to themselves that they already knew enough have been observing that, wow, there's, this really goes into detail and there's a lot more information here than they, they would have anticipated, and pleasantly so, and, and surprisingly so. Uh, We've had several hundred people who've signed up for the course. It's very uh, inspiring to me to see that there are that many people out there who want to further their knowledge, deepen their impact, and uh, and understand even more about how to extract the greatest possible joy, contentment, and fulfillment from a life. Uh, One thing I'd like to give a plug to is those rapid-fire graduates who have
0: already breeze through this course we've been getting some time estimates and in fact the course of study is taking anywhere from 25 to 60 hours of total work put in to get through those modules just this cert the exam uh, component not the all the multimedia materials Um, but quite a few of these folks and I'd love to mention them all by name but they have written in with some very concise uh, feedback suggesting or pointing out areas where maybe they were confused about an exam question that wasn't quite fairly worded. So we've done some great editing on the fly, which is what's so fun about this thing, is we keep making it better every single day. And one project that we're working on now is to dump in a whole bunch of sound bites, some audio enhancements, supplementary material that might not fit right into the flow of the text matter but if you're an audio learner you can click on the play button right in the middle of the course right with your video which starts out every module of course we have you on video giving a summary of what you're about to learn as you read through the material you can click on audio and get some some add-on, some unplugged commentary, and then the examination process, which really helps refine and and make sure you own this material.
1: No, it's a very robust course, and our goal is to get at least 2,000 people through it next year.
0: Oh, so now we can um, skip the middle of the podcast commercial and go back to the questions. Thank you, Mark, for that commentary. So Rebecca writes in and wonders, um, since that recent post where you detailed your dietary habits, have you changed anything? And also, if I'm struggling with weight loss, is there some macros, macronutrient
1: ratios that I could adjust? Well, to the first part of the question, I'm always experimenting with my diet. And in the last uh, six weeks, I've given up nuts. Uh, that was one of my um, question marks I had about, well, you know, how, how are nuts serving me in my quest for optimal health versus the crunchy, salty enjoyment that they give me by the handfuls? when I'm um, uh, not eating mindfully, shall we say. And one of the areas uh, that I look at for people who are having a difficult time with their weight loss is I, I typically ask them, well, how many nuts are you consuming in a day? And people who come to the Primal Blueprint or come to Paleo understand, because fats are sort of now allowed and never were before, that nuts are finally on the menu once again. The danger is that you consume or over consume nuts because they're on the menu, uh, the way some people tend to maybe overconsume bacon because it's on the menu, uh, and I was looking at that for myself, thinking, well, how many, you know, how many calories a day am I taking in in the form of, of uh, nuts? Uh, how many grams of polyunsaturated fats? Because nuts are basically little bags of linoleic acid, um, some of which is uh, fine and appropriate, some of which is probably excessive. Uh, and then there's the the element of digestibility and. The extent to which some of the nuts that we consume may impact digestion and gut health and the microbiome. So I thought, well, you know, I'm I'm not that sold on nuts as a uh, as a as a staple of my own diet. I'll give them up for it's been I think six weeks now mm-hmm. and see what effect they've had. And you know, it's certainly not been a negative effect. In terms of a positive effect, uh, my I would suggest that my digestion is probably incrementally better as a result of that am I going to give up nuts for the rest of my life probably not Uh, but I'm having fun with these little experiments of one Uh, so that's the most recent change I've made to my diet and that's not to say that I won't reintroduce my favorite you know macadamia nuts
0: yeah I Um, appreciate
1: that can you gave me last week too you didn't want any more that was fantastic that's right
0: So one thing you talked about at your PrimalCon keynote address was this minimum effective dose. And it just comes to mind here on this topic that nuts are nutritious, they're primal approved, and here's the possibility of people overdoing it, especially in terms of the desire to
1: reduce excess body fat. And it's a typical sort of a hurdle that a lot of people have to overcome. When you look to lose body fat, the first thing you have to do is teach your body how to burn body fat. And that's the essence of the 21-day total body transformation. That's reprogramming your genes to derive most of your energy from your stored body fat or from a fat that's on a plate of food in front of you. Uh, but once you've developed that skill, that ability to tap into your stored body fat, then by restricting the amount of calories that you take in, you can you can force the body to burn off stored body fat. So I don't want people to think, oh, well, wait a minute, what's marks talking about this calorie restriction thing? I thought that was that was a no-no in the world of paleo and primal. but the reality is in order to lose excess body fat, we need to burn more calories than we store. The danger with, some of the initial attempts at eating a high-fat, low-carb diet uh, would be that the the uh, you're, you're presenting the body with as many calories or more ca- calories than it needs to burn. So you may be good at burning fat, but you may only be burning off the fat from your from your meals and not the stored body fat, which is what you're trying to do. Uh, and nuts tend to be very deceptive in that because I can see people who say, "Well, you know, I I, I do have a snack of nuts in the afternoon." And then when I get, we start to drill down and I get to, well, how many nuts are you having? Well, you know, a handful or two or seven. And and then, I, well, what's a handful to you? Well, it's a good, and next thing you know, I'm, I'm finding out that these people are taking in 1,000 or 1,200 calories worth of nuts in a day. So it's not to say that that's, that's bad or horrendous or terrible or, or you failed a paleo or primal test. It's just to say that you're providing your body with so many calories that the body does not need to look to its own stored body fat for additional energy. So nuts seem to be a little bit insidious in that regard. Uh, Well, I'm glad you made that distinction of the step-by-step,
0: because the first step is to get off the carbohydrate dependency. So if you need a big handful of macadamia nuts every afternoon, that's okay by Primal Blueprint standards. But then at some point, when you're getting good at burning body fat, you take a second look at that. And I think the Primal Fuel falls in that same category, is it's an excellent catalyst to get people off the carb train, especially in the morning if you're used to that high-carb breakfast, you have the primal fuel, which the macronutrient content is low carb, high high good protein, high quality fats, um, and they they sort of get trending in that direction where they're not they're not requiring those high fat snacks
1: as much as they started out with. Yeah, in, in basically the single serving on the label of uh, primal fuel is 195 total calories, and in that you've got 20 grams of protein, you've got 14 grams of healthy fat, minimal carbohydrate. so it literally primes the pump so that you buy maybe another four or five hours till your next meal, which just again, 195 calories, but you've, you've primed that pump to start burning fat throughout the day.
0: Uh, And if you're making primal fuel for, let's say, a high school basketball team that's burning a lot of calories and and growing, and you put in two cups of coconut oil with 195 calories like I do at my house, everyone's so satisfied. They love their blueberry smoothie that's probably 1,000 calories in a medium-sized cup. Well, it better not be two cups of coconut oil. Oh, no. I pour that stuff in like (laughs) you would not believe and They are so satisfied. They come over to our house all the time. Oh, great. Hey, guys, want a smoothie? Yeah, it's 195 calories of powder and... 3,000 of coconut oil. So if you're, if you're on the high school basketball team, that's one category. The rest of you have that nice, efficient, minimum effective
1: dose breakfast. Yeah, so the minimum effective dose of, of nuts, for instance, would be enough to take the edge off your hunger. Not enough to constitute a meal. Good.
0: We're, we're racing right through. And here's another one. Steve writes in, and he's loving his primal. He's had great success. And now the big step is taken. His wife is actually going to try going primal are there any adjustments or different requirements for ladies getting started on a primal direction?
1: Oh, you know, we could fill a book with that. And in fact, we are in Primal Woman coming out in 2015. But the short answer is, yeah, there are a couple of adjustments. You know, women in particular who, and depending on their uh, current metabolic state and their weight and their goals and their age and their status in life with regard to menopause, you know, pre-menopause, peri-post-menopause, all these things weigh into crafting an eating strategy that works for the desired goals. Um, in general, however, women do probably need to pay a little bit more attention to their source of carbohydrates. That's uh, not to say that all of them need to cut way, way back on carbohydrate, but there's there are opportunities to to decrease carbs too much and then bump up against a wall that, that uh, manifests itself as... Not feeling too great, uh, low carb flu, uh, lack Messing of energy. Messing with hormones, perhaps. Yeah, that I hear possibly, some people say, Possibly. Yeah. So, you know, if you're one who really wants to go in whole hog and start to hogs a bad ter- choice of words if, if you're one who wants to <laughs> got go the in bacon. yeah yeah exactly uh, but if you want to you, you know go full primal and really drop uh, the carbs dramatically you just have to be very careful and watch pay attention to the signals um, it's possible a lot of people did that in the days of Atkins they would go through the induction phase and go down to 20 or fewer grams of carbohydrate in a day uh, if you're a person who can do that and you recognize that you can do that then why not exploit that for for a couple of weeks on the other hand if you're somebody who is affected dramatically by that drastic a reduction in carbohydrates then there's no need to to be as draconian about it you can get a, you know cut down to if you're a person who was doing 300 grams of carbs a day then dropping down to 120 is a major drop and yet s- still gets you very close to where you need to be to start to get those uh fat burning systems engaged And yet, is very doable in terms of the amount of, um, provided you've gotten rid of the grains, you know the breads, the pastas, the cereals, the sugars, and all that. It gives you plenty of leeway for lots of vegetables. And again, the vegetables are going to help with your microbiome and uh, these soluble fibers that the healthy bacteria need to uh, to do their beneficial work. Then there's a lot of leeway in. The primal blueprint eating strategy for women in particular to to continue to consume significant appreciable amounts of carbs as long as it's not sugar and grain based. So make it a personal
0: experiment. Use your intuition. You shouldn't be feeling lousy as you're transitioning to primal and right. take it away. Um, interestingly enough, we have two separate questions from recovering anorexics. One of them, Alia is concerned about uh, losing weight. I don't want to lose weight while I'm going primal. I, I wonder how I can gain weight while I'm going primal. Should I eat more fruit sugars, perhaps more fat? Uh, wonderful benefits of less pain, less inflammation, more energy, more emotional stability. She's 5'10, 130. She's set her healthy weight and in recovery. Has a very active job, does sprinting one to two times a week. So she could be concerned on the flip side of most people, huh?
1: Yeah, I, I think 5'10", 130, right off the bat, sounds like a, a great weight to be at, and uh, particularly if she's sprinting and particularly if she's doing some form of of resistance training, that is lifting heavy things. I'm, I'm a big fan of that for everybody, and in particular women, and in particular among women, recovering anorexics because, or eating disorders because so much damage has been done to the bone tissue that you need to prompt the bones to become denser and stronger through lifting heavy weights, this uh, direct resistance exercise. Ha- having said that, yeah, as long as you're getting enough protein, as long as you're getting enough uh, healthy fats, it, you, you really don't need to try to overdo the carbohydrates and the sugars. I certainly wouldn't want to restrict them, particularly if your your issue is, uh, you know, you want to maybe pack on a little bit more muscle and, and, uh, and not lose any more weight. But the main thing, whether you're obese or whether you're uh, a hard-gaining, skinny person, what we're trying to do here is we're trying to find your ideal body composition. And once we find your ideal body composition through the process of, uh, of crafting a, an eating strategy that includes healthy sources of fats, healthy amounts of protein, healthy amounts of carbs that don't include uh, grains and sugars— then everybody sort of settles into an eating pattern that is based on their hunger level. And this skill that we develop, which is to recognize when you are hungry and be ready, willing, and able to eat whatever it takes to satisfy that hunger, and then no more. You know, it's not your job to overfill yourself in a meal. Once you sit down to a meal and you start eating, and you recognize that you are hungry for that meal halfway through the meal what i t- what i tell people to do is sort of begin to ask yourself with each successive bite of food am i truly hungry for the next bite of food and if the answer is yes have it enjoy it you know relish it but if you're not hungry for the next bite of food then recognize that there's plenty of food around the corner if you get hungry in the next hour or two or seven But there's no need to eat to the point that you're full because for most people, once you've gotten to that point of fullness, you've probably eaten a little bit more than you should have. Um, Mm -hmm. If if you are basing your eating strategy for the rest of your life on this ability to recognize when you're hungry and to be very good at burning fat so that even if you are hungry but you happen to have to be forced to skip a meal – you don't lose, you know, you don't lose focus, you don't lose energy, your blood sugar doesn't drop because you're so good at burning fat. Uh, and it's it's this intuitive ability to recognize what sorts of food, how much food to eat, uh, how much I need to maintain my energy levels. And that's really, that that's not just advice for anorexics. That's not just advice for obese people. That's advice for, for really, really fit people as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're not dispensing professional advice here, but it seems to me that the gateway to breaking free from those emotional relationships with food is to get off that carb dependency cycle so you actually aren't dependent on regular feedings. Because when you are, it's easy to get emotional and, and in your head about food rather than in your, your, your heart and your appetite.
1: Yeah, for so many people who have become sugar burners throughout their lives and have developed that, that particular pathway... They've created this self-perpetuating cycle, which involves filling up with a lot of carbohydrate, not being able to access stored body fat. So once the carbohydrate has been burned off, uh, because the body will choose to burn it off, the body doesn't like to to keep a lot of carbohydrate or glucose uh, on hand. In fact, it seeks to store it in the fat cells. Uh, once that's been burned off, then the hunger signals arise again because you haven't become Adept at burning fat. You need another source of carbohydrate. You need more, more sugar, more glucose. And this cycle perpetuates itself, not just day in, day out, but from one meal to the next to the point that uh, so many people that I know will finish lunch and immediately start talking about what are we having for dinner? Uh, and that's no way to live your life. It's, it's really, Look, don't get me wrong. I am a food hedonist. I enjoy every bite of food I put mm-hmm. in my mouth. I do not choke down anything that I was told was healthy just because it's healthy. I want to enjoy every bite of food. I'm not a big fan of kale. Even though it's the healthiest food apparently in the world, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of kale, so I don't eat much kale. I'm very clear that I want every bite of food that I consume to be a pleasurable experience. Uh, but I also know that uh, there are certain foods that I probably should not be eating even though they might be pleasurable, cinnamon rolls, pitchers of beer, uh, handfuls yeah. of, of you know bags of peanuts or whatever. These are things that, that I would I would like to be able to eat, but I choose not to because I know what they'll do to me. Right. So I from this list of all these foods that I can eat, meat, fish, fowl, eggs, nuts, seeds, vegetables, a little bit of fruit, um, I can eat as much as I want when I want. I just have created this ability over time to manage my hunger. And the irony of all ironies with a low carb eating strategy, and this applies to all of the primal blueprint and most of paleo, is that, you know, once you are good at burning fat and once you are good at accessing ketones and once you can go for hours at a time without thinking about eating food just because you're so good at burning fat, uh, you get to the point where appetite does diminish, and I find myself eating thirty percent fewer calories today than I thought I needed ten years ago to maintain the the same uh, energy levels, body weight, uh, and and everything else that was going on in my life, activity level. So, it, it's it's ironic to me that. And people will say, "Well, wait a minute! Aren't you restricting yourself because you're eating 30 percent fewer calories today than you did 10 years ago?" That's a restrictive program. No, I certainly still eat when I'm hungry. I just I, I recognize when I'm no longer hungry a lot earlier now. I don't overeat. You talked about the minimum effective dose early in the in the podcast. The minimum effective dose of food. It's it's the point of view that I have now, which is diametrically shifted in the last 10 years. Is I used to think to myself. How much food can I eat and not gain weight, and and be able to have the energy level and whatever it was I'm doing? How, in other words, what can I get away with? How much food can I eat as a as a mm-hmm. uh, as a as a sloth as a as a? And yeah, that's know. the tagline
0: of the triathlete and the runner. I mean, um, so many oh, people who say, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, or you know, why do you why do you train so hard? Well, I train so I can eat. Well, yeah. that, you know, that's. I guess that's one way to look at life. But Jim Fix said that in in the last exactly the late Jim Fix. But in the last ten years, that has flipped itself on me. And now, in a in a sort of an epiphany I had a bunch of years ago, I thought, well, how much how little food can I eat and not get hungry and still maintain body mass and energy levels and all this other stuff that I want to maintain. In other words, I'm not sacrificing, but where's the minimum effective dose? Where's the least amount? of food that I can eat to get through a day and feel satisfied, sated, uh, enough, have enough energy. Again, maintain muscle mass, be able to play and do all the things I want to do and it turns out to be uh, an appreciable, uh, as much as 30% fewer calories than the old days. Right, you're metabolically more efficient. Right. Period. And some people would say, by the way, that, oh, you need, you want to have a very high metabolism, that it's a good thing to have a high metabolism to be burning all off this stuff and I'm, I'm suggesting all right, that's, you, that's accelerating your lifespan. That's just... Ex, well, it's accelerating, exactly. It, you're, you're burning through a lot of calories. You're creating a lot of reactive oxygen species. So provided, once again, that I don't get hungry and I don't feel like I'm sacrificing anything because I want to enjoy food. I love food. It's one of my favorite things to do is to eat. But it's that point at which you recognize it's okay to push the plate away and say, wow, that was a great meal, and I've had as much as I need for right now. I feel... Comfortable, satisfied. I won't go to bed with a with a, a bloated belly, uh, a high, a racing heart beat because of what I had to eat. You know, too close to my bedtime. There's a, there's a sense of comfort in there, comfortability. Uh, all of these kind of little little nuances that happen as a result of developing this intuitive ability and skill. Uh, well, a couple other things come to mind uh, personally, and people have told me the same thing.
0: Not at Primal Con because everyone overate like crazy for four days. But when you're in this new mode, as you described very well, sometimes you might even get hungry and have so much appreciation for the sensation of hunger that comes along. However long duration the waiting period is, half hour, hour, whatever. And then the fantastic satisfaction from a meal rather than being constantly overfed or fully fed
1: your entire life, which indeed does accelerate
0: cell division and shorten lifespan.
1: Thanksgiving, uh, the holiday season is a good example of that for me. I, I'm i not a big fan just because there's so much eating going on. Uh, there's the pre-meal and there's, in our house anyway, well, you can't skip breakfast uh, on, on uh, Thanksgiving because you want to, you know, prime the pump or whatever. And we got all this good stuff going on. And then well, we depending on what time we have Thanksgiving dinner, there's got to be some form of, of hors d'oeuvres being passed around. Well, your hors d'oeuvres would constitute a, a regular meal in most households. And by the time the Thanksgiving meal rolls around, it's like, oh, I'm no, I'm not even really that hungry. And even if I am... Um, you finish the meal, and then there's dessert, and there's all this stuff. It's it's really uh, a great mirror for me to look at my life up until now and go, "Wow, geez, if if I'm that susceptible and that, you know, I'm, I'm 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 taking part in this ritual just because the family's here and that's what I do. How many hundreds of millions of people do this? Not just at Thanksgiving, but every single day, where they're literally never letting themselves get hungry. Because they're so into the routine of breakfast, uh, mid-morning bagel, lunch, mid-afternoon snack, dinner, a uh, uh, bowl of ice cream in front of the TV kind of uh, ritual.
0: And if one of those falls out of place one day, they get emotional about it, yeah. cranky or whatever. And yeah. all of a sudden you're back to emotional relationship with food, which was the start of our lengthy hey. question answer again. That was from exactly. Vanessa. Thanks. Um, so we'll hit a few more quick ones. One of them is, you know, you're talking now, especially with Don't Just Sit There launching imminently, uh, the, the dangers of prolonged sitting and prolonged stillness in particular. Um, and, and one questioner comes in asking, why is sitting on a chair worse than laying down on the ground or on
1: a bed? Or what about an easy chair? Is that better than sitting in the chair? Well, it's not necessarily better. It's not necessarily worse. It's just different. And this is what I think people, the essence of kind of don't just sit there and Katie Bowman's message, which I think is brilliant, that is that uh, through most of human history, we didn't have chairs, we didn't have sofas, we didn't have divans, we didn't have cushy beds to sleep on, not even hammocks. So there was constant changing of a body position uh pressure points on the ground that would uh benefit the human so the fact that you weren't lying still in one position for hours and hours at a time in a comfort state um is not necessarily uh a bad thing it's a good thing we're we're we the, the body wants to be changed positions it's it you know we're we're basically um upright bipedal people who are living segways if you know what a segway is it's a two wheel vehicle it runs on gyroscopic um and you know figures out where upright is based on, on gravity, and we're sort of doing the same thing. It's it's It just amazes me that we can even stand upright on two mm-hmm. feet, if you think about it. Uh, why don't we just fall over? These little platforms that we call feet are tiny, uh, but we the body's designed to be put through many different planes of motion throughout the day, many different ranges of motion. Sleeping is one of those, and if you change position in your bed a lot, that's... A good thing, not a bad thing. Sitting is one of those positions we assume during the course of the day. If you change positions, I was in a meeting, a long meeting, uh, this weekend in Scottsdale, and uh, I probably flipped the chair around. Four times between sitting on the on the front part of it, flipping it around, and leaning over the back of the, the back of the chair, um, putting one leg out behind me so I could stretch out my my uh, quads and my hip flexors. And I was the people in the meeting were like, "What is he doing?" But I said, "I don't well, care." I'm, once you go once you go down that road to yeah. everyday movement, there's no turning back to exactly. the stillness. Exactly. But I think um, as a plug for for the program, don't just sit there. It's going to be a, a, an amazing benefit to a lot of people who have that issue with. Uh, spending a lot of time in sta- stationary positions at work. Even standing up. It's, Even it's standing ex- up. Correct. Stillness. So the stand-up desk is is still not the remedy. The remedy is keep changing
0: changing positions right. constantly. Yeah, that's great. Here's someone who writes in about the low-carb flu. They call it the 65,000-pound gorilla in the room that no one wants to talk about. Um, it's had great success. Uh, cutting out junk food, sugar, and alcohol for going on three years now, doing a great primal-aligned exercise routine with high-intensity, long backpacks in the Sierra, and so forth. I'd like to get into ketosis, but every time my carbs get below 90 net grams per day, I feel terrible and never seem to get through it.
1: Constipation, bad sleep headaches, weakness, and nausea. How can I deal with this? Well, first of all, there's no rule that says you have to go into ketosis. There's no hard, fast, primal mandate that says you got to get below 90 grams of carbs a day. I gave a, a, a window from 0 to 150 in the carb curve. And I said from 100 to 150 grams a day is where weight maintenance um, with, with grace and ease can happen. Uh, you can eat lots of vegetables and, and some fruit in that arena and uh, maintain weight quite easily. This person is talking about being at 90 grams of, of carbs a day and dropping below 90 seems to create the problem you know if you want to go into ketosis recognize that what happens is the brain is used to a certain amount of glucose and if you withhold that glucose from the brain the brain gets cranky and it says wait a minute where's my glucose you've been doing you've been providing me enough glucose to get by on a regular basis for a long time and now you're not and if you're gonna do this for a long time then I the brain am gonna build the metabolic machinery to burn ketones because that's an alternative fuel that I can use instead of glucose. Mm -hmm. But there's going to be a transition period of about a week when you drop below that standard glucose provision of, in this case, for that person, it's 90 grams of, of carbs a day. And when you drop way below that, the brain isn't getting the glucose, and it's trying to rebuild or build the metabolic machinery to handle ketones. It just hasn't done it yet. A week in, it'll start to have done it. But in that week, it'll be... Uh, uncomfortable for some people it 's a breeze it 's not a it 's not a problem at all for other people it's it 's hell it 's terrible I would say if you try it and you really want to go through this for a week and see what happens on the other side you know if you can suck it up and hang in there it 's worth it as an experiment of one you won 't hurt yourself but be very careful that when you talk about constipation, maybe you supplement with resistant starch maybe you take uh, if you 're cutting your um, your intake of green leafy vegetables down to the point where you are consuming fewer than, say, 60 or 50 net grams of carbs a day, by all means start to find ways to You take a probiotic, take some resistant starch. Those don't uh, negatively impact your experiment of going into ketosis. Have a few green
0: bananas, three, four, five, whatever you want. <laughs> I think you and I have both experienced this too, doing our um, somewhat intensive athletic efforts. And this guy, the longer version of the question, talks about his kettlebell workouts and his Tabata sprints and eight-day backpacking trips in the year. So, if you're burning a lot of calories, especially glycolytic workouts, um, it's a slippery slope to try to engage in this ketosis. Experiment well, certainly too. don't
1: if you're if you're going to drop below. Uh, a certain number, in, in this case, 90 grams of, of uh, carbs a day, and maybe probably below 70 to get into true ketosis. Uh, as an experiment, then don't do any heavy lifting or heavy workout in that in that one week transition period. You know, make sure that what you're doing are long easy hikes or long easy walks or bike rides or whatever, or minimal. You know, 50 percent of your normal uh, weight training, and certainly again, take care of your. A gut biome with resistant starch. Uh, make sure you're taking some bone broth or some uh, electrolyte supplements because that's going to be an issue as well. And that may be the reason that uh, a lot of people experience this low-carb flu is they're not addressing the electrolyte imbalance. So some potassium, magnesium, a uh, little bit of sodium. Uh, and, you know, those those sorts of adjustments can maybe make a big difference.
0: That's great, Mark. I think we have time for one more question, so we're going to take it from a live caller. Joseph, you're on line three. Oh, sorry, we have technical difficulties. Let me just read it. I'm just kidding. We don't have live callers, but I thought I would mix it up a little and keep you guys anticipating this great final last question and many more lined up, by the way. So we'll get you back in and uh, hit some more questions. But Joseph wonders, uh, when you're writing for the blog, how do you deal with the possibility of confirmation bias? Do you ever worry that the research you read may be just, in fact, what you want or
1: expect to read? Yeah, well, I have to say that I, t- I try to be as objective as possible in writing these articles. However, I have a belief system. I have, a, I do have... Uh, some biases w- that I'm looking for in some of the research, and anybody who who's in my field and doesn't admit to that is is telling a lie. They're biased. They, well, they're <laughs> they're just lying because if they don't, if they uh, claim to be a hundred percent objective about it, it's very difficult to do. So I have, I, you know, I look for the research that would support my position for sure, and to the extent that that research looks objectively sound and and, and confirms whatever thesis I'm trying to put across. Great, but I think you'll note in my writing that I've I've left the door open on many occasions for the possibility that we could be wrong or we could be just uh, misinterpreting the data. I have a real problem with scientists who, in their own uh, write-up of a study, in my estimation, might interpret the data just because they've 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 done their own confirmation bias. So I see a lot of headlines of studies that would suggest. One thing, and then you dig deeply into the study, and you find, wait a minute, that's just that was that was uh, cherry picking the data, and you could have come to an almost opposite conclusion from that.
0: Well, in your opening uh, message on Mark Staley Apple, who am I, and you're talking about the fact that you have no. Um, You're not beholden to anyone, unlike an academic who, and Timothy Noakes talked about this too, when he changed his position with his whole career at stake and all the money that's been funding your lab for years and years, you want to fall in line. That's what the government's done with all the flawed food research. But in your case, you're an outside observer, basically. And so you have every reason to be independent, or more reason than someone who's wedded to the result.
1: Yeah, there's been a, a whole uh, brouhaha on uh, the Inuit and whether or not they they were as ketogenic uh, for as long time as, as as long a period of time as some of the initial research studies would have reported, in some of the re- initial books and and. As a result of that uh, acknowledgement that maybe they weren't always deep in ketosis and they maybe had access to uh, seal liver that contained glycogen or seal muscle that contained glycogen and therefore that was considered carbohydrate, blah, blah, blah. Um, but that, you know, I, I look at those and I kind of chuckle and say, well, here's somebody who's looking to confirm that that they're right and we're wrong, and I'm just saying, well, that's interesting, but that doesn't change my viewpoint on ketosis, for instance, which is I'm not a person who's saying you should spend your life in ketosis. In fact, ketosis is just a tool. Ketogenesis is a, a wonderful mechanism by which the body, in, in my humble opinion, uh, prompts itself to create more mitochondria, more efficient mitochondria, which only serves to enhance how you metabolize fats and and carbohydrate at the same time so why not improve the amount of mitochondria and why not do so by playing around with the occasional cyclic ketogenic diet but i'm not i'm not a person who said yes you have to spend your whole life in ketosis in order to get certain benefits and because the inuit did that so i kind of i kind of always look at this as these are just little tools and tricks of the trades and i hate the word hacks but i'll use it here biohacks that we can implement because we know what the effect is on our genes. Uh, we have a sense of what the long-term effect might be, but, but we will never know. Well, we won't not never know, but, but right now we may not know what the long-term effect might be because we've only been doing this for 10 years. So mm-hmm. here's an example. Uh, when I was a runner back in the late 60s and early 70s, it was presumed that the more you ran, the healthier you were. And people, a generation of athletes, took on as much mileage as they could because they they had read that you know a healthy heart depends on aerobic exercise and cardio, and the more cardio you do, the longer you'll live, and the healthier you'll be, and the skinnier you'll be. And you know we thought for for two full, maybe three full decades that was the way it was it was supposed to be, and it made sense. Now we're discovering, ooh, maybe not. Now we're seeing <laughs> some many people in my generation drop dead mm-hmm. from heart problems from having trained too hard. Mm-hmm. Oops. We were wrong there. So back to the original premise, which is how do you maintain some objectivity and stay away from confirmation bias. I have some theories that I want to be true. I'm hoping they're true. Um, I do a lot of research to try and prove that they're true. But in the event that they're not true, I'll be the first one to back off and say, whoops, made a a mistake. Um, You know, my bad. However, and I'll finish the podcast up with this, I've been contemplating writing a post um, just over the past couple of weeks, I've been saying to myself, you know what, so many of these things that we started predicting 10 years ago are starting to bear fruit and look to be, even though they were wacky assertions early on, now would appear to be, to be accurate and having long-term positive beneficial consequences.
0: Well said. And we'll get into some of those things that have turned the corner now and are getting more and more mainstream acceptance, such as the barefoot uh, minimalist scene. Uh, and so on down the line so we'll have some good topics to tee up for next time for now mark sisson thanks for a great show and coming into the studio to hit the q a hard i'm your host brad kearns until next time thanks for listening to the primal blueprint podcast
1: safeguard your health with the most comprehensive all-in-one nutritional supplement on the planet primal nutrition's damage control master formula Mixing and matching with multiple bottles of individual agents. Now you can just take a single packet of the most potent and optimally balanced multivitamin, multimineral,
0: antioxidant formula available on the market. You'll enjoy complete immune system, cardiovascular
1: memory, nerve, bone, liver, and anti stress support and much more. With 51 research-proven ingredients, Damage Control Master Formula helps you combat oxidative damage in every cell and every system in your body and shore up any dietary shortcomings with complete protection. Order Damage Control Master Formula today at primalblueprint.com and check out the incredible free shipping offer for
0: our convenient and custom-designed auto-ship program.